I want you to turn to Proverbs chapter 23. We've been talking about faith and we'll still talk about it some more, but I want to talk tonight about what actually precedes faith and that's thinking. If you think wrong, you'll believe wrong. If you think right, you'll believe right. Chances are you will. Because the Bible says in Proverbs 23, 7, I would call it a spiritual law, at least a deep spiritual principle that is equal with all of us. And it's as a man thinketh in himself, so is he. Each one of us, we could say, is a product of our thinking. You can say anything you want to. You can talk about this and talk about that and you can really wow people with your speech. But fact of the matter is, according to this, that whatever you are in your heart, you really are. The kind of person you are on the inside, noted by what you're thinking about, the Bible says is the kind of person you are. One translation says it like this. It says, for as the thoughts of his heart are, so is he. If your thoughts are wicked, you are. You may talk righteous or spiritual, but if your thoughts are wicked, if your thoughts are resentful and bitter and revenge and stuff like that, that's really the person, the kind of person that you are. If you stay like that, you'll perish. And you don't have to. But as a man thinketh in his heart, we often use the word heart. Some translations say in himself. Because the word heart used 750 times, about close to that. 400 plus times is the word translated heart here is translated soul in the Old Testament. Nefesh. And it refers to basically you, self. And some translations say, as a man thinketh in himself, because your heart is what you are. What you are in your heart, you are. And that's where your thinking is. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And looked up the word just out of curiosity, the Hebrew word for thinketh, and it means the same thing in Hebrew as it would in English. It means to calculate or to reason out. It means to reckon or to estimate. It's how we form opinions. It's how we form uh, our plan of attack in life, how we're going to do things, how we're going to figure things out. Oh, it's just a simple thing that we're all familiar with. You know, you set before me what you want me to think about, and that's going to affect the way I think. Now, the devil knows that, and I think the devil knows that if he can get you to think about the wrong things, then according to this rule, this principle here, this law, if he can get you to think about the wrong things, you'll do, you'll do wrong things. It'll keep bothering you and you'll keep coming back to church and you'll keep bothered about why you do things. But here's, this, here's what it says. As a man thinketh, so is he. You let your mind dwell on stuff. You keep watching stuff you shouldn't watch, reading stuff you shouldn't read, listening to things maybe on the radio that you really shouldn't listen to. The devil can use anything that God would not approve of. He could use that to tempt you to think like that. That sets you up for judgment and for dif difficulty and so forth. But as a man thinketh, so is he. And I think that the devil, if the devil can get you to, to think wrong, he can defeat you. He can keep asking you questions that you can't answer and then say, see, God doesn't always do what he says. You can't, all, you can't just say that God will heal or God will deliver somebody because look at this one, look at that one, look at the ones that aren't that way. Now, how are you going to just say God does what, he, what somebody told you that he does when it's evident that he doesn't? All you have to do is start thinking like that. Just bring God down to the level of humanity and make God a what-if God. That's what the devil tries to do. Oh, he could. You know he could heal, but... And he didn't. I mean, look at the, you know somebody that didn't get healed. Come on. And look at the ones that believe God for this or that. And, and come on now, they didn't get it. So what makes you think that it's going to work for you? Oh, so-and-so said, God's going to heal this, take care of this, deliver me and restore. But they didn't work, did it? 
We haven't learned to say yet. But people think like that. Questions like that are posed to all of us almost every day, depending on what you're listening to. Somebody's always has a negative something. How many of you know the devil's negative? Negative, negative things make negative thoughts. All the devil wants you to do is listen. Then he begins to reason with you. Take natural things and try to make you think that's the right way. You know, God didn't mean for you to be prosperous or blessed or necessarily healed. I mean, how would you? And then he starts talking about something the Bible has nothing to say about. And it gets you to think like that. So that you learn to accept what comes to you in your life. You learn to accept failure. You learn to accept weakness or, or fainting or falling back or giving in or caving in. You begin to think about, well, some people just have it and some people don't. The Bible doesn't say that. God's equal. He's fair to all of us. But now the devil says that. And the devil, I think he knows that if he can get you to think about all of these things differently than what God says, he can defeat you. Probably some of the biggest battles that we fight are in the mind. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4 and 5 for a, a moment. An old familiar friend there, verses you've known before and you've heard quite a bit about. Let's look at it again in context of what we're saying about how we think and the thoughts the devil gives to you to think about. Telling you what you can't do. You're too, it's too far. You're too old. You're too young. You're too slow. It's always too something. Well, that's not for today. That's for some other day. After all, none of that's happening today. And therefore, you start thinking like that. He says, for the weapons in verse 4, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. But they are mighty through God. Did your Bible say that? Something like that? Close? So it obviously implies that we're in some kind of a warfare. We only have one enemy. And that's the devil. So the weapons that God has given us to engage our enemy are not carnal things like guns and dogs and mace. Those are not the weapons that God gave us to fight with. But the weapons he gave us to fight with are mighty through God. That is, God is the one who gives us the weapons to fight with. Now, we can't see God, so it's not easy for some people to get here. And we've never really been able to touch or feel over the weapons that he speaks of. Here's what's hard for us to, shall we say, imagine what they're like or how they work. Would they work for me? Could I use them? Am I worthy enough for that? But they are mighty through God for the purpose of doing what? Pulling down strongholds. Now, strongholds, as I understand it, would be the devil has gotten place. The Bible says you can't give place to the devil. When you give place to the devil, he gains an entrance in some area or some part of your life. Things don't work well in that area. Or things aren't going well for you because I don't know what's wrong. There's something's wrong. Well, let's consider maybe the devil has found a way to get in there. He's always going about as a roaring lion seeking something, isn't he? He's looking for whose life is loose, not paying attention, so that he can get in there. He stands as the accuser of the brethren. He makes his claim before God, just like Job did, about us. They've heard the word. They heard the teaching. They've took notes. They knew better than what they did. Now look what they did. Look, look what they're doing. Do you suppose we can give place to the devil like that? In, in our momentary weakness, we know, I, I ain't going to do that. Well, why? Oh, I, and here's what the devil, he goes to the other extreme. Oh, I guess you think you're going to hell because you looked at that or you, you wore that. Come on. What kind of God are you serving? See, the devil's a master schemer. He comes up and he says, hath God said? Is that what he said? Is God so narrow that you're not even allowed to just a little fun in life? I mean, just think about it. That's all he wants you to just think like that. 
allow yourself a little freedom to think differently than what God said. You get snared. Because somebody convinces you something out there. It's got to be the devil because God wouldn't do this. But somebody convinces you that it's all right to have a few liberties. Different from what God would want. And when he gets in, he gains access to some aspect of, of your life. Maybe it's sleeping. Maybe it gets in your marriage somehow. Maybe it's your money, finances. Pockets have holes in it. Make enough money, but where is it? Maybe it's something like that. I don't know. There's 10,000 different ways that the devil works. But these are called strongholds. And these strongholds, notice what he says in, in verse 5 about these strongholds. What does it say about taking captive what? Every thought. Huh, let me see. Casting down imaginations. Now, just for the sake of this message tonight, I looked up imaginations on the dictionary. You go online, there's a lot of dictionary. Boy, you can learn a lot about words. That's real exciting. But uh, I like it. But the word imaginations is nothing more than images, mental images, pictures, seeing something that the senses can't see. Do you know what I mean? And imagination is an image on the inside of you. It's how you view things from the inside. It doesn't look like that on the outside, but it's how you see things. People often, for example, they, uh, in a fearful moment or a, a troubling moment, they have a particular pain or some kind of a physical attack never had before. They've heard about people that had such things happen in their body. And what kind of an image does it, comes in their mind? Well, you've got it. This is probably some kind, of a, some kind of a fatal ailment that you have. And when it goes to this degree, and if you listen to the radio about symptoms, you'll, you'll for sure know what they are. Trust me with this one. Turn the ignorant radio off when they start talking about diseases and drugs. Amen. You can leave it on if you want to. It's your radio, but I'm just saying you, you, I would turn it off. I don't want to hear about the symptoms. I mean, even drug companies tell you the problems with their drugs at the end of it. The small You know, this has been known to cause cancer. This has been known to destroy your liver, make you go blind and lose your mind. But, you, you know, people will take it because they make them feel better for a couple of days. Devil's no fool. He wants to snare anybody, any way. Well, there's nothing wrong with an aspirin, is there? Come on. Some so-called prophet said a few years ago, making fun of the faith message. Oh, I forgot. He said, I take two aspirins. Oh, I forgot you are faith people. You don't take aspirins. But you're right. Amen. In, in the midst of your joke, count me in. I'm one of those. And here's the reasoning. Here's, here's the thinking that the devil... Now, are you going to tell me that there's something wrong with taking two aspirins? And I say, well, there would be for me. For me, yes. I don't want it. I don't need it. God didn't make that stuff, and God didn't have it invented for me. It is not mine. I have something better. Somebody needs that aspirin. I don't. Do you know why? Because he bore my diseases and carried my pains, and by his stripes, I am not trying to be, not wish I was, I am healed. I may have to fight the good fight of faith to demonstrate to the devil and to anybody else that I really believe I'm healed. I may not look like it, but I believe I am, and therefore I will be. But the devil gets in and gets these strongholds. And these strongholds that he gets in people's lives are images, imaginations. He projects pictures into your mind of you in a box. In a box. Well, it's snowing outside, and when you get this picture, well, I'm sure I'm I'll run off a road. Well, don't drive. Don't come get me. Images. Pictures. 
The fever is something worse than just a fever. That cough is going to develop into, and I could tell you a real story about that, about reading in the paper one night, just a dry cough, a regular cough. 14-year-old boy, no. Yeah, 12 year, 12 to 14-year-old boy, that was me. Coughing one night, just laying on my belly. I still remember where I was, laying on a belly in 250 Level Street, Charlestown, Indiana, reading a paper. And there was danger signs of cancer. And I read them, and one of them was persistent coughing. And I kept coughing until when I was age 20, I had to have half of my lung removed. Now, don't tell me that this isn't real. I've been here. I know how this works. He just needs to get into your mind. And once he gets into your mind, he gains your acceptance. This is how it is. And you accept it. And you tell others, oh, this is how it works. Well, I just wasn't one of the lucky ones. And then blah, 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 blah. When I was in college, coughing up blood, trying to play basketball, diseased, never got enough to eat. And when I was in college, two things were true. Never got enough to eat, never got enough sleep. Never, ever, ever, either one of them. I was always hungry and always sleeping. And one day the devil convinced me, you're dying. You're absolutely dying. And I believed it. I went to church that Sunday. I always went to church when I was in college because I, I tried to prolong the day. And I remember sitting in church that Sunday thinking, you're going to die. It's going to be such a shame. Everybody's going to be around your casket just boohooing and crying, poor Tommy. Oh, it's just a shame. And oh you, oh, you can't live long. You can't live long. Not the way you're coughing and what people see. You, you know, they don't see what you're coughing up, so you're going to die. I remember thinking there in church, you know, I am going to die. Man, there's no hope. I just don't know what I'm going to do. I believed it. Then when my mom caught me coughing up one day, she came in there right after and she said, did you do that? Oh, man. Couldn't get it flush fast enough. She's, I said, yeah. Had this constant hacking cough. And she took me to the doctor in Louisville, and he put me in all kinds of stuff. And he sure enough said, you're, you're in a dying situation. If we don't do something about this, you will die. Well, I'm thinking, I knew that. <laughs> Devil told me that. He said, you can send you to Arizona and put it off, or we can operate on you. I said, what does that mean? He said, we have to remove half of your lung. Get it out of there. I'm too young to die. Let her get her out. And they did. I'm just saying that the devil begins with a thought. Doesn't have to be true. It could be a lie. He just wants you to accept it and receive it for yourself. Then he can do his work. He gets his foot in the door. You agree with him. It's a spiritual principle. You set yourself in agreement with the devil, and the devil brings to pass in your life what you agreed to, just like God would with his word. One is negative, one is positive. And they start right here in your mind. And you have these imaginations. And what's that fifth verse? So go ahead and say, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. What's the knowledge of God have to do with this? Well, the devil says you're going to die, but God said, I didn't say that. Now, God didn't say you were going to die. Why are you saying you're going to die? You're saying you're going to die because you believe you're going to die. But God didn't tell you you were going to die. You're saying what you really believe, and you really believe you're going to die because of the symptoms and the signs and the experience that you're having. But God, in spite of all of that, says you shall live. Now, what are you going to do? God says, the devil says, what do you say? Because when whatever you say, you're signing up for the death or you're signing up for life. All by the words of your mouth. Death or life is in the power of your tongue. So the, the devil gives you things to think about just hopefully for the last 30 some years. You've been given something positive to think about. Thinking doesn't make it happen. Thinking simply brings to your mind what God says he will do. You dwell on that, and you dwell on that, and you deal with that. Faith comes how? How? I hear you. Where does what you hear go? It goes into your brain, into your mind. 
Your mind is where your will is, your volition, your power of choice. And whoever gains access to your thinking gains access to your life. As a man thinketh, he said again, as a man thinketh, so is he. We have to fight against stuff that's not of God. You can't just lay down and assume such a trivial little thing is no big deal. A kid laying on the floor coughing. That's a trivial thing. It costs a lot of money six years down the road, eight years down the road. Nearly died. It was an ordeal. It began with just a little thing, a little tiny thing. And I started thinking about it. Nobody told me I didn't have to have that. Nobody in Sunday school ever told me that. Nobody in church, a preacher, never, ever in my life ever said any such thing that God heals. Never heard it in my life. Nobody in my family ever talked about it. Had no friends that would say that. I didn't know that was true until I heard Hobart Freeman say it on a tape years ago. I never, ever heard it before. One of those faith teachers might have been Kenneth Hagin, but somebody in those days brought to my attention that the Bible says we can be healed. Well, my brain was kicking that out all the time. Oh, that can't be so because if it was so, this is the way the devil taught us to think. Well, if that was so, why isn't everybody healed? Why, if God said he would do that, why don't you see any evidence of it? Who's, who's been healed? Who's been raised from the dead or who's whatever? concerning physical things. But I kept listening again to the message, the same message, that same old, same old Samoro. And it started coming through. The light kind of broke in. And I would read my Bible. I never read it before. I was saved and I was reading it all the time in, but I, I didn't know the content much of anything in here. I was hungry. And I began to read that and I thought, you know what, I can see that. God said that right there. Then my mind started thinking, well, I wonder why I didn't see that before. But for one thing, you never wanted to see it before. Secondly, you didn't know a single soul in your world, nor did the seminary my pastor came from, no one had ever seen that before either. We were like the blind leading the blind. Who's the author of that? The devil. He turns men into little swamps. There's no living water in, in the message of the devil. It's all death. It's all maybe, hope so, next year, not now. You can't. You're too young, too old, too far, too slow, too hot, too cold, too something. And because nobody tells you different in our churches we grew up in, just a resignation to that's just the way it is. That's how I probably like most of you grew up. And we heard this message the first time, this liberating message that has to do with faith. It was such a new message. It was almost too positive, too real. And dead people started attacking it. And dead people started writing books about it. And dead was trying to put it down. Death was trying to keep us from seeing it. You know, it just dead people didn't want people to come alive. It's the work of the devil in people to prevent people from being what they could be. Jesus said that to the Pharisees. He said, you're full of dead men's bones. Didn't he say that? Yeah. What kind of words comes out of dead men's bones? Dead men's messages. Such love. Oh, he's such a wonderful preacher. What did he say? Nothing. Excuse me, nothing, nothing. We're such good people and sincere people. We go to church and we sit there and we never heard anything. We never believed anything. We never thought anything. And the first time somebody came up with something different that was on God's side that said, this is what God will do. It says so in the Bible. We thought, I don't know about that. Why do we say that? Because we were negative people. I don't know about that. That's, oh boy. You mean to tell me that God just heals? A young man after church one night in Charlestown years ago, he said, I don't believe all that. Now, what he could have said, this is what I believe. God could, but he won't. God has, but you can't count him to ever do it again. 
You have to earn anything you get from God. You have to earn it. You have to be good enough to get it. Because if anybody would have ever gotten it, my uncle, whoever would have got it, my aunt would have got it, or granny would have got it, or grandpa, because they were good. And I'll never be that good, so I'll never get anything, because if they didn't get it, nobody's going to get it. And I said, now, does the Bible say that? Or is that somebody taught you that? Is that the faulty reasoning that's in your mind? Are those the conclusions you've reached in the way you think about what God has said that you can't even agree that God means what he said? Has the devil so twisted your way, your ability to think that you can see nothing the way he says it? And the answer is yes. They can't see it. They, they sit there, they know what you said is in the Bible, but they look for ways that that can't be true. Look at the bookstores writing against tongue. I mean, in the old days, there was more books against the charismatic experience by far than for it. They just didn't want tongues in the church, didn't want that to be true. But it was true anyway. And some people got it and they had to leave where they didn't want it. Here we are. Hello, sunshine. We made it. All 50 of us, or 150 of us, whatever. But the weapons of our warfare, this battle rages the rest of our lives. They're not carnal things that we're fighting with. They're spiritual things. They're mighty through God. God's the author of the victorious weapons that we have available. They are designed to pull down strongholds. They do that by bringing every thought captive. You capture every thought you used to just agree with, and now you bring it down to the scrutiny of the Lord Jesus Christ, whose words you have hid in your heart. He said, Lord, is this, is this so I can never be anything more than what I am? Nope. Lord, am I going to be sick the rest of my life? Nope. Lord, am I going to be poor and poverty-ridden and full of mistakes the rest of my life? No. You'll never get that kind of teaching from God. That's the devil's work. We start bringing every captivity to the obedience of Christ, the living word who's abiding in you. If you're feeding that word, it's growing. You're becoming more word of God inside-minded. You begin to think the way he thinks. He's showing you a new and living way. And that word is seen because of the light of his word. As it comes in, you begin to see things his way. You begin to walk that way. It's a walk of newness. You walk alone a lot because a lot of people think you're crazy. Remember, I read an article in the paper once. I read the first sentence of the, of the article. It said, so-and-so believes that we should trust the Lord with all of our hearts and lean not to our own understanding. <laughs> now, they didn't laugh like that. It wasn't audible. But you could tell the spirit behind those words. Can you believe that this Christian person believes, they actually believe what Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says? They actually believe that. What kind of a cult did they go to? You think, time out. Maybe the cult is the other place. Maybe the cult is the one that says this is not for today. Maybe that's the cult. Maybe the ones who have a form of godliness but deny its power because they've been trained by the darkness that they think about. Maybe that's the cult. They think that you're trusting the Lord with all of your heart and leaning not to What? Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not. What does that mean? Time out. What does it mean to say, don't lean to your own understanding? That wouldn't say don't lean to what God said. It wouldn't say that. But the way I grew up, the way we grew up, learned things, grasped things, the way we figured things out and put things together, two plus two, the opinions that we formed about life and things, the, the way we walked that 
was separated us from God, don't do that no more. Don't lean to your own understanding because God has a new and living way that's better, doesn't he? Amen. This is the way walk ye in it. As a man thinketh in his heart, that's the kind of person he is. Now, if I can get the word of God in me to live and abide, to remain, to stay here and occupy and furnish me with this word of God thinking, wow, I'm going to do all right. Let me ask you another question. Simple question, but it's, to me, it's a little, little, little bitty, tiny, profound thing. When we think, as the Bible says, as, as a man thinketh, when we think, do we think in words or in pictures? If somebody said, have you seen my dog? Now, I know what a dog is, but he didn't say H-A-V-E-Y-O-U-S-E-E-N-M-Y-D-O-G? Question mark? <laughs> you don't say that. Because the person communicating with me in the same language that I understand is using words that I can relate to because they all have meaning. And the words only have meaning because they have pictures. I don't mean the word have or is or at has a meaning, but it, it relates to something else that was said, giving meaning to it in some way. And I said, what kind of dog is it? And he understood what I'm saying because I'm questioning, was it a big dog, a little dog, a fluffy dog, or a, a little hairless dog, or short tail, no tail? What kind of a dog? Long nose, little nose? Mean, nice, what kind of dog you talk about? Oh, it's St. Bernard. Oh, well, I know what that is. Let me ride him. Well, if, now, if you don't know exactly what kind, you say it's a, it's a cur. Now, if you don't know what a cur is, we're talking, we're talking in tongues. How many of y'all know what a cur is? That's a third of you. Hey, he's kind of, you know, a little old, I'd call him a farm dog. We call him all a little ship. You know, little Shep dog, you know, got fur on him and friendly and, you know. He's a Heinz 57 variety dog. I don't know what you call him, just a, a mongrel or a cur. And uh, he was down here somewhere. We lost him, hadn't seen him since. That's how we communicate. But, you know, I, when you're telling me that you found this, that you have a, a little dog that looks like a mongrel and he's kind of German shepherdish, but he's got a little collie in him. And See, my mind is forming pictures of that dog. I have an image, in other words. I have an image on the inside. I haven't seen the dog, so I can't say I know what he looks like, but I am forming an image of that dog in my mind. That's how I think. I don't think in terms of ABCs. But every word that I learned growing up has to have some kind of a picture go with it. And there's got to be some kind of a picture. If the person didn't know what a frog was, I mean, I can't imagine, but if somebody never heard what a frog was or today in, the, in big cities knew what a cow was or a horse was, if they didn't know what an animal was and you talked about a frog or something, they wouldn't know what you're talking about. To get them on your terms so you can communicate with them, you've got to choose words You've got to choose words that would frame a frog, that would create an image inside of them that's inside of you. So I say, well, a frog is a very ugly, wide mouth, tight-lipped, green, slimy thing that hops. And the back legs are good eating. Ooh, they are now. Don't woo me. They are good. Just don't eat the front part. And so we start trying to frame these words. And sometimes if people see what you're saying, if they get the picture so that what you said has created a picture on the inside of them, if they see it, they'll go. See, their face shows that they see what you say. Yuck. That's how we communicate. We communicate with words, but words have to have meanings. We have to speak the same language. If somebody stood up here tonight and spoke Yugoslavian, Serbian language, or 
Rudy's ancestors. If they started speaking to us in some kind of a dialect or Russian language or whatever language that we didn't understand, they might be the most accurate, deeply perfect presentation of the gospel you've ever heard, and it did you no good. You know why? I don't know what you're talking about. Your words didn't mean anything to me. I heard the sound of them. I saw you talking and waving and see how I could see the sincerity of your face, but I can't relate to a thing that you said because I don't know what you're talking about. Now, if I could learn the language and he preached it all again, I'd go, oh, wow, praise the Lord. Yeah, that's good. Now we're communicating. You see, words have to have an image. We think in pictures, I do. Words... Words frame images. They make images. If somebody was given directions, how to go from where they were to one of the little stores downtown here in Shelbyville, they would say, well, go down here in the corner, and on the left you'll see a car lot, and there'll be traffic light there, and, and you turn right. If you go right, you go right past the bank, and then on the other side of the street across the bank next to a little house beside a picket fence, while they're saying all this, you're forming some kind of an image in your mind, and you're going to follow this image to get to where they say it. This is how we think. That's why when the devil comes up and he says, you know, some kind of a disease is going around, and if you start doing this or you see this, then chances are that's the evidence of it, and you're probably going to catch it. And immediately you see somebody stopped up, plugged up, all kinds of corruptioned up. And then you see yourself, yeah, you know, nine out of ten people get it, and you think, yeah, you know, I used to think like that. I caught everything that was going on, I caught it. My immune system was probably so bad I could catch anything. I couldn't turn it loose when I did catch it. I just caught it. Because that's the way I thought. I was trained to think like that. And when people talked about things like that, I could see those things real easy. And that's the way it was. Turn to Hebrews 11.3. That's just the way I thought. That was the way it, I pieced things together with words because words had images. I think in pictures. Listen to me. If a word has no image, if the word doesn't create an image, I doubt that you have any understanding of it. If the Bible says that by the stripes of Jesus you were, past tense, yesterday, forever, it's done, not having to be done again, healed, how many people see themselves well? They talk about health care, the cost of health care today. Well, it's going to, and it's, it is going to be expensive. And I don't think we've been told the truth about how much it's going to cost for those that want it, need it, get it. I don't know, I guess some of us just have to pay the fine or go to jail. I don't know what they're going to do to folks that won't do it, but I don't want it, I don't need it, and I don't plan on getting it. Now, what that costs, I don't know. It may just, you know, we might have to have tag team preaching up here. I don't know. But I can see myself well. I don't know how many people can. I can see myself well. I don't see myself sick. I don't think sick. I don't imagine sickness. I don't see myself drug dependent. I don't. I mean, I know some people may be and all that. I'm just talking about me. I just don't see me like that because that's not the picture I get from what God says about me. I see me well. I see me prospering, but I want to see me successful. God says I can be. God speaks of good success, didn't he? I mean, he says good success. Then he said, then you will have good success. Then you will prosper in your way. Well, that's not a picture of me because I heard it. That's kind of a hope so thing, but you stay with it. Hear it again. Read it again. Meditate on it. Ponder it. Wow. 
One day, you, it's just the work of the Spirit. One day, it just, amen. So be it. From this point on, you're walking, you're walking in the light of his word because inside of you, you're seeing what God said. Not just hearing words that God said, but you, get, you put yourself in that light of what God said. If he said, I am, I see myself like that. I don't know how many people do. We hear sermons. We take notes. It's kind of like a mechanical thing or an academic thing. We hear it. Yeah, 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 yeah. But when that word is living and abiding, it becomes a force in your life because you see yourself in a different way than you've ever seen yourself before. You're not trying to imagine yourself being healed. You see yourself that way. God says, I am. Therefore, I am. I am because he says that I am and I believe that I am. Hebrews 11:3. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. Now, I've been using the word framed here, getting you ready for this. It says, for by faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made out of things which do appear. God had inside of himself at some point when there was nothing, there was God. There was nothing but God. God was, in the beginning, was God. That's as far as I can go. That's it. In the beginning, God. There wasn't anything else. And God, I believed, in making a point, I believe that God had an image Something that he wanted done. Something that he wanted to be visible and present on the inside. So he framed the image on him with words. He said, let there be, and he spoke into existence what was not. I believe that. I don't even think it was hard to do. I don't think God had much effort to that. God said words. God spoke words in the beginning. The words he spoke were the words that were going to become. Now, I think this doesn't sound right, but let me say it. Because the Bible says, for by faith. I believe that God knew, believed, that when he said something, it would happen. I believe that he knew when he said something, it could not but happen. That it had to happen simply because he willed it to happen. And to will it, he spoke it. He said, let there be. And then all the things that in the creation account of the earth and the universe and all the things that, that God spoke, he spoke it with the word. And I think that he, he framed it, the mountains, the trees, the people, you and me that were in it, everything that he saw that nobody else could see, things that were invisible, never been before. He didn't have to take a rib to make anything, didn't need an atom to make anything. There were no atoms. There was nothing but God, and God spoke. And what he spoke was the reality, visible reality, of what was inside of him. He didn't just think of, all of a sudden his mouth flew open and he said, Be! No, sir. God is organized. If anything, he is a God of order. And when he spoke, the perfect existence of all things came to pass how the earth revolves around the sun, how the moon revolves around the earth, how the planets stay in their place. Nothing is in chaos because when God, long before there was any of that and before it's as vast and as uncountable as all that stuff is, he knew all of that. This is what he wanted. As it hath pleased him, he hath created and he did it with the word and I believe he said, this is what I want. I want an earth, earth. And so he spoke the word and the thing he wanted, never seen before, it became the thing that was. Trees and mountains and rivers. He could speak to the waters when they received in the days of Noah and he could speak to the nations and boundaries were formed and never overflow again. The water won't never cover the earth again. God put order on the earth, established it. And put man on this earth, me and you, 
to rule the earth on his behalf. And you know what happened there? How the devil came and used the sentence, hath God said, and started all the sin. But God, before that happened, he knew the end from the beginning, didn't he? And his plan, salvation, creation, everything came into play. That's what, that's what he said. And I believe when he said, through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed, come to pass, made as they are, by the word of God. So that what we see was not made of things that do appear. They were made before there was anything out there to see. This is how we live. Actually, we see that God did all of this. Jesus spoke to a dead man. Remember Jesus spoke to Lazarus? Words. Words. I don't think Jesus walked out there to where Lazarus was in John 11 and said, what am I going to do? I think he knew what to do before he got there because the father, he said, I always do those things which my father shows me. And what the father showed him, all it takes now is for you to frame it and speak it. Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus didn't immediately come out of the tomb. He was all watered up in that cloth. They probably had to stand there for a little bit. They might have heard a noise or some kind of a shuffling noise in that tomb. Tomb was stone. There wasn't much sound in the tomb. And they stood there, and I'm sure some people, like in a church service, got a little bit restless. Nothing's going on. It ain't working. And then they heard something noise, and he, out he came. Jesus said, loose him and let him go. But he spoke what he believed, and he believed what God said. It had never been yet. He was still dead. When God spoke to Jesus, Lazarus was still dead. And when he spoke, just like the power of God was created in, in all of creation, Jesus copied his father, said, life come to Lazarus, and Lazarus received life. Lazarus came out of that tomb. Do we not have the right, maybe the mandate, maybe the requirement, do we not have the call to copy God? Whosoever shall say to what? This mountain? Be thou taken up and cast into the sea. That's a pretty big order, isn't it? You ever seen it done? Well, I haven't either. I'll help you out. Can it be done? Absolutely. Will it be done? Most likely in our lifetime we'll see it. But the point of it was Jesus said, listen, if you have faith... If you've been dwelling and walking with the Lord and thinking on the things he gives you to think about and you're hiding these words in your heart and more and more the Spirit of God is working the reality of these words in your mind so that it's no longer a question of whether or not this is going to work or whether or not it could be, it absolutely is because this is the work of the Holy Spirit. To take what Jesus said and form in you the same thing that God saw. If God said this is the way walking in it, and you begin to see that, you'll think, well, of course. We're not talking about going to church. I'm talking about living a life in which the word you're hearing, and sometimes you've got to hear it several times, the word begins to take root in your life. You become grounded and, and, and settled in the word, and, and you get a grip on it, it gets a grip on you. You hide it in your heart. And your mind, your mind begins to dwell on it. Why wouldn't it? This is what God's people do. We think. We think on these things. We quit thinking about how we're going to pay our bills, how we're going to have enough money. What are we going to do if, if a shutdown comes? What are we going to do if we can't? What are we going to do? How am I going to get? We quit thinking like that. Don't deny that those questions are out there. Don't deny that at all. All I'm saying is God is bigger than all of that. How do you know he's bigger? Well, because the Bible says, well, I've heard a lot of people say the Bible said, no, I believe it. I see me bigger than that. God who said, I will not only take care of you, but I will keep you, I will secure you. 
And if God's going to take care of us, he took care of 12 disciples that followed him around. Some of them had families. He asked them to leave their job and walk with him. They didn't get up and go to work every day. They followed him for three and a half years. None of them lost their business. Peter even said, Lord, I've left all. You know, he had a boat, fishing boat, but we realized later he hid it up there in Galilee. Because <laughs> if things didn't go right, he said, I'm going back to fishing. I'm done. This isn't working for me. Till Jesus met him on the seashore and said, it's going to work for you because I didn't call you to quit. And I think at some point in Peter's life, he got the picture. He got the picture and he actually could see what God was saying. Let me ask you a question. How can you see what somebody said? You've said it. You've used the same word yourself. Oh, I see what you're saying. Have you ever said that? Any of you ever in your lifetime, in all the years you've lived, have you ever said, I see what you're saying? But how do you see what somebody said? Did you watch his mouth? I saw the words form with your lips. No, your words created an image. I see something. I've never seen it before. You said it and it, I saw it. Even blind people say it. Even the blind say, oh, I see what you're saying. Well, you don't see it naturally, do you? No, we're not talking about a natural thing. We're talking about a spiritual thing. Let me tell you what good, what happens when you see what God says. And a smile comes on your face. And some kind of a gladness begins to well up in your heart because maybe perhaps for the first time in your life, there's hope. You're going to make it. He's going to rescue you. He's going to keep you. And in the end, he's going to bring you into his kingdom. And that's the thing to rejoice about. And you see it. I see what God is saying. I don't sit here and go, hmm, hmm. Oh, how much longer is he going to preach? You ain't seeing nothing. You know that? Caught you. But you're not seeing anything. There's no light coming in with that attitude. Because you see, we're talking about your attitude. As you think, you're forming the kind of person you are. How much longer is he going to preach? I don't know. I don't know. I don't have an alarm clock. I've got a stopwatch up here. It's not telling the truth, but I got one up here. We don't come in here with the attitude of, Lord, I am here. Juice me up a little bit so I can go home and spend the rest of my day having fun. No, sir, we come in here. We undo ourselves from all the stuff that's dragging us down to receive his word and light because this is what sets us free. You shall know the truth. And when you know it, the light comes on. And knowledge is like, oh, I see it. Man, I never saw that before. I see that now. Praise God. Praise God. That's when faith comes. Somebody says, well, that's, that doesn't make sense. It does to me. If he's big enough to create the world, he's big enough to take care of me. Yeah, but what are you going to do in your old age? Come last Sunday and you can hear it. Come back last Sunday and, and hear it. Even in your old age, he'll take care of you. Now, I've never had a picture of me like this. You know, I've never had a picture of me walking around like that. I've never had that picture. Because somehow that's just a little too old. But I do see him in whatever state I'm in, that he will never forsake me or leave me, that he will supply my needs and take care of me, or he will see to it that, that I'm taken care of. There's no reason ever again to be afraid. There's no, there's no reason ever again to think, well, what if this doesn't work? I don't have to think like that ever again because I see what he said about that. Now, I don't maybe see what he said about a lot of things, but I see what he said about a lot of small things in my life that have become big things. I see that he'll take care of me, that he'll provide my needs, that God will bless me and God will keep me and God will supply all of my needs. This is the work of the Spirit. It's what the Spirit of God is supposed to be doing. And it's what he does do for those who want it. 2 Corinthians 3. 
This is another old familiar friend here. 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 18. Listen to this. This is a work that the Holy Spirit does in our life. But we all with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. We're changed into the same image. Does that mean that God presents Jesus to me as the model life, the perfect order for man? No flaws, everything. In other words, this is, this is what God wants in us to be like him. The measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, to grow up into him in all things. Is that what he wants? Now, is that the image that he wants to create in us? Well, of course it is. How many of us dismiss ourselves from that being a possibility by saying, well, nobody can be like that? You ever said that? You ever heard somebody say, well, I don't. And, you, and so you quit reading. You quit, you quit hearing. Well, I don't believe anybody. I don't believe anybody can be like Jesus. See, you're thinking about nobody can be a redeemer, well, no, you, and you can't. He's not talking about you coming and saving the world. He's talking about you being, as a person, the kind of person that he was in character and in your ways and in the fruit and, and so forth in your life. Jesus is the express presentation of God on the kind of person a man ought to be. To be like Jesus, we sing the song. This is what God wants from us. This is the kind of person I should be. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you. And what? What's the learning for? Because the more I put my mind on the things of God, the more I seek out the kind of person he was, the more I'm thinking on these things, what's the chance of me being like that? It's good. As a man thinketh, so is he. So I begin to think about it. Can it really be that I could be like Christ? Is it really possible that Christ in me can occupy all areas of my life? Is it truly possible that this crucifying of the flesh will really work? Is it true what Paul said that I am crucified with Christ? Nevertheless, I live yet not I, but Christ who liveth in me. Is that possible? Do you see yourself like that yet? You, you may not. Maybe you've never given any serious thought to it. I mean, serious thought. I know it might be harder for Bonnie to think of me like that than for me to think of myself like that. I don't know. See, the more you know somebody, the more you know their flaws. And sometimes we just accept the way we are that will never change. Well, I've always been like this. I don't guess I'm ever going to. That ain't what God said. God chose you being always like that. He says, you're going to be like this now. I'm going to do a work in your life to turn you around because I'm going to give you something to think about. And the more you think about it, the more you're giving the Holy Spirit time and place to change you to be like that. 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 6. 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 6. In whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them who believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Is Christ the image of God? Did Jesus really mean it when he said, if you have seen me, you have seen him? You all got to do some thinking here now. Don't take my word for it. Would Jesus be saying, I am the visible expression in a human body of the invisible God? I am, as you look at me, Jesus said, I am God yeah, that's right. in a body. You were made in the beginning. Remember this? You were made in the image, image of God. So you weren't made a, 
a Neanderthal man. You weren't a bowed over monkey man walking through some European. When God made you, you looked like Jesus. When God made Adam, he looked like us. Well, where do you get all them monkeys from? But the, let me tell you something. God could hide stuff in rocks, fossils and stuff just to excite heady people. Look, we found a tooth. We're going to make a man out of this tooth. God can do that because men thinking themselves to be wise, they become fools. Yeah. And he that sitteth in the heavens like Psalm 2, he laughs. And the reason you and I dismiss all that intellectual hobnobbery and all this scientific stuff and all this advancement and all these various fields is because God has given us something different from all of that. God created the world by a word. Be! And it became. Oh, how could that be? Because he said so. Tongues? I took a recording. This preacher said, we recorded some tongues and went back and we had linguists analyze it and it was nothing but gibberish. Thinking themselves to be wise, they joined the foolish. Who said the language of heaven had to sound like something man would speak? Why does everything have to be natural? See, we think now in terms that God can make 2 plus 2 equals 16,426.8. Whatever he wants it to be. God is not limited. We begin to see that. We're easy for him to take care of. We are, as we would say, a piece of cake to keep well and blessed and prosperous. We're easy. God has said, I have seated you in heavenly places with me. Can you see yourself like that? There with him. He's with you. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. Amen. He knows the hairs of your head, the days of your life, the end from the beginning. And he said, I will always protect you and take care of you. What about saving your children? I know some of you don't have children. You still are children. Is there one too hard to save? How many times do you look at the one that's not saved and you go, oh, God. Or maybe you should take God at his word. That what things soever you desire when you pray, you believe, you receive it, and you'll get it. You want that child to be saved? Believe it. Ask and believe. And you start thinking, no, sir, I'm not talking about positive thinking. I'm not talking about that stuff. I'm talking about spiritually thinking about what God said. If he said, when I believe, when I pray to believe that I shall receive it, and what I want is saved child, all right, Father, you're faithful. Day one, Father, you're faithful. You said in your word, day two, three, and four, Lord, I know it's not going to happen because I just think it's going to happen. It's going to happen because I really believe it. I have to admit, I'm trying to believe it right now, but I know you said if I'll believe it, nothing is impossible to me. All things would be as possible to me as it would be to God. Didn't he say that with God all things are possible? Amen. Did he not say if thou canst believe, nothing is impossible to those who believe? Amen. I get to imitate him. I get to order my life on the principles that, that he's given me about himself. Oh, God, let me think like that. Let me think on these things. Let my faith embrace these things. Let me begin to see what he said and let that become the image in my heart that projects me into a life of faith. It's going to be, I know in whom I have believed and I am convinced that he's able. And then one day you see it. Because faith comes how? By hearing and you keep dwelling on the word and pondering the word. There it is. There's your child. You got a picture of that child on bended knee weeping and crying or sitting at the table or in the car wherever they are and just weeping their, their old lost eyes out. Crying about their stinking sins and all the darkness that they've lived in. Hating all the flesh that's stained by sin in this world and they're crying. You get the phone call. I gave my heart to Jesus. 
And God says, you knew that. You knew that. You laugh. Because it's now a reality. I don't have to believe it any, anymore. I have to believe what's happened. I have to believe it before it happened. Once it happened, I have to believe it. Now I know it. And so you begin to rejoice. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. But I knew that was happening. I know in whom I have believed. And I am persuaded that if he said it, he'll do it. And if he said to me, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you shall receive it and you shall have it. Amen. Amen. God is good.